0: With a set-aside prayer, God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially, help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to carry your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we've got... uh, quite a few new people here for this Thanksgiving weekend, and that's kind of neat, and we had a special birthday. And uh, it's interesting that we're on step three in the book. Uh, We're on page uh, 60. And um, I covered some of this on Wednesday, but I'm going to cover a little bit more. I saw some more things that I forgot to mention on Wednesday. And we've spent uh, quite a bit of time this, I don't know, how many times I've been through the book since we started in 2008, but uh, it's been quite a while to get to this point in the uh, book from the beginning, at least six months, maybe more. And the book takes a long time. The book is the, is AA. It's called Alcoholics Anonymous, this book. A lot of new people don't realize that it has a name. And it is Alcoholics Anonymous and it contains the 12 steps, the directions for recovering from a hopeless condition of mind and body. So if you come in here and, and you think your life is a mess, and you can't stop drinking, and things are caving in on you, we have a solution for that in AA. And it's in these pages. Uh, The book is a treasure map to God. And God is is the source of all power. That's how we define him. And we're going to read today how I had to stop playing God. That was my problem. Alcohol was not my problem. Drugs is not my problem. My problem is my self-centeredness in running the world. Now, how can I say that? Because when I run the world, my emotions build up because it doesn't go the way I want. I experienced that this morning at home, um, but luckily I had to go to the meeting so we could cut that short and uh, but uh, it didn't work. Not only do we uh, in conflict with everybody and everyone, but we things don't go our way and we get irritable, restless, discontented, we get pissed off, fearful. And when our emotions build up and we're addicts, alcoholics, addicts, whatever you want to call yourself, you seek whatever it is that relieves that. And so Uh, The first step says we're powerless over alcohol, that my life had become unmanageable. When I'm managing my life, alcohol or drugs has power over me. When God's managing my life, it doesn't have any power over me. So which way is going to work better? The problem is that when I came in, I didn't know how to not manage my own life because I'd been doing it my whole life. Anybody else do it? I was good at it. I managed myself into a wristband and complete chaos. But the steps are designed to break down our self-centeredness, destroy it, allow God to work in our lives. The book uh, spends um, um, 57 pages of doctor's opinion just on the first two steps. And, And I think the mistake that I've made in trying to help people is that I assume they've taken the first step when they get here. I mean, you look at them and their lives and they tell you what's going on. You say, well, but the first step is something you have to take in your heart. You have to take it in your heart that I'll never be able to control how much I drink ever again. I'll never be able to choose not to drink. I'll never be able to. I could stay sober for a while. But at some point, something my mind will say you need a drink and I have no power against it. Now, that's pretty uh, discouraging, isn't it? But they tell you in the first paragraph of the foreword to this book that they had the same hopeless condition of mind and body. But it was seemingly because they had been able to recover. And so they wanted to tell us what they did. Now, I didn't have a plan when I came in here and I was uh, willing to do whatever it took. And I got into this book and I've um, tried to live it and it's changed my life. And so if you're in that situation, I encourage you, and that's why I have the site, so you can listen to me go through the book if you think that's helpful. And It has to be taught, I believe, the big book. It's kind of like, for me, scripture. Uh, until I heard Joe and Charlie, I'd been to meetings for quite a while and didn't understand the program of recovery. And it's good to be in the fellowship and I see a lot of people here and they're really into this fellowship, but we have to be in the fellowship of the spirit. We have to be in the fellowship seeking God together. And then the fellowship is designed to bring me to God through the steps. And so uh, we've reached the point where we're on page 60 in our study, where they're going to tell us what's wrong with us. They told us in the first uh, pages up to this point that we're powerless over alcohol. I have an allergy to alcohol. I have an allergy to drugs. Uh, I have an allergy to a lot of things. And what that means is that I can't take one drink and control how much I drink. Anybody else have that? I think it would be the same with heroin. I've never tried it, thank God. Uh, I would have died, but I came close. Um, And then they tell us that my mind will seek the ease and comfort of alcohol, and I have lost the power of choice in drink. Now, what that means is if you're sitting in here and you're an alcoholic, an addict, you will drink or use again. You don't have any power. I have no power of my own to keep from doing that. Now, we can tough it out for a while. We can uh, not drink, but we don't have a solution to the spiritual illness. I don't know if this makes sense to anybody. Is it worth reviewing this? Um, the, uh, and so if I have that situation, I need to have some power in my life that can relieve me of that. That can relieve me of the inability to say no to alcohol. I heard one speaker say it so well that I had to stop and replay it a couple of times. Uh, David's listening to Mark Houston, and he's passed away. But he said that I, every day I seek the power that gives me the choice. God gives me the choice, but I have to seek the power. And then I have to let the power work in my life. So we're at the point where we, um, <coughs> Uh, Anne read it so beautifully today, that there are three pertinent ideas that they're trying to make clear on page 60. They spent a lot of time to make these three ideas clear. And they're pertinent means relevant, and they have to be clear to you. If they're clear to me, that won't help you. They have to be clear. and What they mean by clear is, to, is this a truth for you? That you're alcoholic, and I'm not going to go again into what makes us alcoholic. But if you're alcoholic and you cannot manage your own life, that no human power can relieve it. I can't relieve your alcoholism. You can't relieve mine. Now we can help you see what we did so that God could relieve it but I don't have the power to fix anybody in this room. I don't have the power to fix myself, but I can allow the power to work. And then it says God could not would if he were sought. Now, a lot of people don't want to hear about God. Well, that's okay, but nothing else is gonna work. God could, he can and will if he sought. So on page 60, we become God's seekers. A lot of people don't know what to say when they come in here. They don't want to say they're an alcoholic or addict or whatever. Just, are you a God seeker? Because this will work for anyone, any human being, a relationship with God that will give you a design for living that works. There are a lot of people whose lives are miserable, but they're not alcoholics and addicts. But if they would allow God to work in their lives through these steps, their lives would change. Minister wanted me to do this at church. I said, I can't get people in AA to do this. (laughs) And they're dying. How am I going to get people in church? And I've done some Bible studies with some people who, to me, seem to need this. And I mentioned, well, you might want to deal with your resentment or something. Oh, you know, just, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, are we convinced? Am I convinced of those three things? Uh, Somebody's got their... uh, microphone on and turn your microphone off, please. So it says being convinced of these three things, I'm at step three. Now, step three is very important because it determines the uh, path that you're going to take the rest of your life. But as we're going to see, probably not today, but step three, this decision we make at step three won't change us at all, unless we're followed by the action the face and be rid of the things that are blocking me from God. So if we're convinced, then we're at step three. And they tell us on page 60, it's just a decision. Now, you can make a decision, but nothing's changed. You've just decided to do something. Now, if you take the action, then things will change. Now we we become willing to change anybody willing to change, we become willing to change from the pain of, st- of living the way we are. And we want 100% willing to change. Anybody willing to change? They have to be 100% willing to change if it's gonna work. It can't be, well, I've had a bad day, I'll go to AA. No, you have to be completely defeated to become 100% willing. Then step two is I believe that I can be changed by God, that he can do something for me. Now, step three is the decision to let God work in our lives, basically. You see how they work? Now, the importance of these three steps is that I lived in a world that didn't exist. I lived in my world where I was in the center of it. Anybody else do that? I didn't even realize it. I wasn't in the real world where God's in charge. And when I lived in that world, uh, things didn't go well. (laughs) And I made a lot of bad decisions. Anybody else do that? And then I took bad actions and uh, I don't want to live in that world anymore. So steps one, two, and three is designed to say, okay, I want to leave that world forever. I want to go into the world where God's in charge. Now, how do I do that? That's what steps four through nine are all about. And on page 84, it says, when you've done that work, you're in the middle of your amends, you've entered the world of the spirit. That's where God's the center of the world. And when you're there, we have the 10-step promises. You won't be in conflict with everybody and everything. And you'll be in a position of neutrality towards alcohol, safe and protected by God. And that's how it works if we're in fit spiritual condition. So we have to go from where you are on page 60. Your life is a mess, but you don't want to be that way anymore, and you want to decide to move out of your world. So it says, um, uh, we decide to turn my will, which is my thinking, and my life, which is my actions, over to God as we understood them. And they say, just what do we mean by that? Just what do we do? And what do we do? The rest of the steps. Now, there's a first requirement to do step three. And it says here, requirement, it's required. If something's required, if you haven't Met that requirement, nothing's going to work. And what's required? That I be convinced that any life, any life run on self will, can hardly be a success. Now, um, a lot of people want to know what self will is. And I have a handout that I used to give out on this. Self will is where I'm determining what I need in my life to do to handle my sex instinct, my material instinct, and my social instinct. And I decide what I need to be happy in those areas. And when I'm running it, then there are three things that happen. I have wrong belief, which is fear, wrong judgment, which is actions, and wrong decisions, which is harmful actions. Now, are you convinced that a life run on self-will can hardly be successful? You have to ask yourself that. Am I convinced of that today? I am today. Dylan, you still convinced of that? It says, if you're in that basis, you're always in collision with somebody or something. And it says, even though your motives are good, but my motives were always not good, they were always my motives. And then they're gonna describe on the next few paragraphs what it's like when you play God. And it tells me I arranged the lights, the scenery, and can you turn your microphone off there? The lights, the scenery, the players. And if they would just do what I want, everything would be okay. Did that ever occur to you? If she would just do what I wanted, it would be fine. Well, that's a delusion. And then they talk about, on the page 61, I went through this some Wednesday, the uh, personality we use to get our way. We're either kind and loving or we're obnoxious and egotistical and mean. And then on page 61, it says, what happens if I'm running the show? It doesn't come off very well. So when people come to AA, it's not because they can't, they're drinking too much or drugs or whatever. It's because the show didn't come off very well. Now, certainly, the show doesn't work well at all if you continue to drink and use. But you have to, you have to first be able to get off the drugs and the alcohol to see that you have to change. You can't be running the show anymore. And then you think that it's not fair, life doesn't treat me fair, and then I try harder and it still never suits me. And then on the uh, middle of uh, page 61, it says, what's my basic trouble? So if you're a real alcoholic addict, see if it's true for you. It says, one, am I not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? I was always trying to get my way. What I really wanted and I don't know about you, is I wanted approval. I wanted people to think I was okay. And so I was trying to manipulate so that people would think I'm okay because I didn't feel like I was okay inside. It wasn't good enough being Michael. Why? Because I was separated from God. And If you're separated from God, you'll never be okay. And then you look for approval from money, uh, from, success, how people see you. And then what you do is you make that your higher power. It's not good to make the world your higher power. Don't make your wife your higher power. It's not gonna work, you get it, or your girlfriend. Or, and so, um, and it says, am I not a victim of the delusion? This is on page 61. This was really an important line for me. Victim means that something is, is killing me of a delusion, this is an idea that is not in reality. It's not true. It's a delusion that I can rest. Rest means like wrestle. I'm gonna wrestle satisfaction and happiness out of life if I manage well. And I think I had that for when I was four or five. If I could just arrange things, then I would be okay. It never worked. That's not how I'm gonna get happiness and satisfaction out of life. I get happiness and satisfaction out of life now by doing God's will for me, by being loving, patient, kind, tolerant, considered, compassionate, by being service to my fellow man and to him. But I had that delusion. And so that was a, uh, when I read that, I could see it. And so uh, then it goes down and it says, you know, we were self-centered, we were egocentric. And then let's go to page 62, which I covered some of this Wednesday. It says, whatever our protestations, whatever I want to argue against something, I'm going to protest against this idea, are not most of us concerned with myself, my resentments and my self-pity? Is that true for you? Think about it. Are you concerned with yourself, your resentments, how you your anger, your judgment of others, your self-pity, how you feel sorry for yourself. Self-pity is an excessive self absorbed unhappiness over one's own troubles. Excessive self-absorbed unhappiness over my own troubles. And guess what? I caused them. So I'm having this excessive unhappiness over poor me. Have you ever had the poor me song? You call up, somebody calls you, they're And they're giving you the poor me song and oh. But I caused it all. Now, how do I know that? Because they're going to tell me. And I can see it today. If I'm having a bad day today, who's (coughs) who's the cause of it? Me. It's not them anymore. So selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Uh, Does anybody think that's a good line? Anybody like it? But notice what it says, the root of all my troubles is me and my, my concern with myself. Now, the way I see that is that when we come in here, we're a tree. We each have a tree we bring in here. And when my tree is planted in Michael's soil, it looks like crap. I have all these character defects. The tree's withering, there's no fruit on it, it looks terrible. And that's how my life was when I, because it was planted in my soil. Now, I could still have that today. I could plant my tree in Michael's soil when I leave the meeting and the tree starts to wither. So where do I want to plant my tree? In God's soil. So the root of all my troubles is that I've planted my life in me and not God. Now, AA, when you get to steps 10 and 11, is not very complicated. It's where you keep replanting your tree all day long. You get in your soil, you don't feel good. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in the wrong soil. God, replant my tree in your soil. That's six and seven. That's steps 10 and 11. And then it says, I was driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. So I was never in control of my life. I thought I was. But my character defects were controlling me because my tree was planted in my soil. And what are your character defects? You're selfish, dishonest, fearful, and considerate, intolerant, lustful, and intemperate. Te- you get it, self-pity, all of that. And we, I used to hand out the cards of, on that. And then people would hurt us and it says, seemingly without provocation, seemingly to me, but I invariably found that at some time in the past, and this was really key for me, I have made decisions based on self, which later placed me in a position to be hurt. And when you do your four step, that's what you see. Four step isn't confession. Four step is where you see how you made bad decisions. Your whole life would put you in a position to be hurt. And I could still do that today. And not only did it put me in a position to be hurt, but to hurt the people I love. Anybody hurt the people they loved? And we did that because we were living on self. And I made decisions based on self, what I wanted, what I thought I needed to be okay, what I thought I needed to be happy. Well, I was wrong, because it didn't make me happy. And it caused even more pain and so now i try not to make decisions based on self i try to stay connected to god how do you know if you're making a decision based on self when you've been in recovery a while you're a little bit uneasy you say well maybe that's not a great idea <laughs> maybe i need the pause before i send that text or i make that call or Take a deep breath, you get it? We just vaguely sense it's not what God wants us to do. And then the other way, is it loving? Is it kind? Is it tolerant? Is it considerate? If it's not, is it based on what I want? Then maybe I shouldn't do it. But this is just in the beginning, these few paragraphs to get us ready to do the rest of the work. If you really don't take step three, you're not gonna be doing the rest of the steps. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. Anybody agree with that? You agree 100% with it? Now, Joe and Charlie, when I listened to them for the first time, they said, this is the greatest promise in the big book. Well, why? Because if the troubles are of my own making, I can change my personality with God. If it's their fault, I can't change them. And all my troubles are of my own making. I don't have to have any troubles. Once you're in recovery, you just have situations. You don't have to have trouble, just have situations. And then with God, you figure out how to handle them. So my troubles were my own making, son of a God. I didn't know that when I came in here. I had a list of of who caused all my troubles. Does anybody else have that? I used to call it an execution list, you know, these people. Oh my God, look what they did. If you live with them, blah, blah, blah. It was really sick. Nobody laughed. They arise out of ourselves. See, the problems were, they arise out of me. They arise out of what I think I need. And the alcoholic is an extreme example. Now, extreme is a is an interesting word, right? An extreme example of what? Self-will run riot. We're like a riot of getting what we want and doing what we want and managing the world. and and uh, trying to rest satisfaction and happiness by manipulating everybody and everything. Anybody do that? I did it and I I could still do it, unconsciously because I was so good at it. Anybody else good at it? But I have a higher power at home who reminds me that, you know, you're not in charge of that, honey. And uh, like I was worried about Stu today driving in the snow and did he leave early enough So that he wouldn't get in trouble and she said no honey Stu's old enough that he can figure out when to leave and he can do it without your help but i still called him (laughs) (laughs) but i didn't call him to check up on him i just wanted to see how he was doing maybe see if he left yet yeah stop mark's giving me a hard time well but that wasn't a bad thing that's not but we were self-will-run riot and And here's the key line, Norm's not here, my buddy Norm used to always say, though he usually doesn't think so. I didn't realize it. I didn't think I was a self-will run riot. I thought I was just doing my best. I thought my motives were good, just trying to be helpful. (coughs) So above everything, now if you know what's above everything, let me know. Because above everything, I must be rid of it. They're giving you a warning here. You can, you can go to all the meetings in the world and, you know, chant, and meditate all day long. But unless you're rid of this selfishness, nothing's going to change. And how much of the selfishness do you need to rid of? All of it. And you don't get perfect here, but you keep seeing more selfishness you need to get rid of all the time in recovery. And then you have God now to go to and say, God, I don't want to be this way. I don't want to do this. I don't want to think this, and he changes us. And it says, we must, or it's <coughs> going to kill us. So they're threatening you. Now, how does, how does selfishness kill me? It kills me spiritually. When I'm in self, I'm running the world, and my life is completely unmanageable. And then if I'm running my life, then I'm going to drink and use. It's guaranteed. Or I might stay sober for quite a long time, but I'm miserable. Now you can die from drinking. You could die of alcoholic poisoning. You can die of cirrhosis, but it takes a long time to die of cirrhosis. But now that we have drugs, now you can die quicker because there are very few pure alcoholics anymore. And I really liked, you know, there used to be a big discussion 20-some years ago when I came in about, we don't want the addicts at the alcoholic meetings because they're going to ruin us and they're going (laughs) to poison me. I had one lady, we had a lunch meeting and she goes, oh, I can't have an addict in here. It's going to ruin my sobriety. And I was thinking, this lady is such a, (laughs) anyway, I won't say it. But uh, the only difference between an addict and an alcoholic, according to somebody I heard is an alcoholic can't drink and can't use drugs and an addict can't use drugs and can't drink. Because if you're an alcoholic and an addict, if you're an addict and you start drinking, you're going to use again. And if you're an alcoholic and you start using drugs, you're going to drink again. You're going to do your drug of choice to relieve what? Your self-centeredness. Now. This Mickey B made a really good choice. He was in treatment and they were talking about drug of choice, you know, and you've heard that. They asked him what his drug of choice is. He says, what's ever on the floor. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If, you know, we, we'll do we'll take anything. And if we can, we'll take two of them. And, and it says, there's no, God makes it possible. Do you understand that? We're not gonna change We're not going to be able to keep from drinking and using unless we have a relationship with God. And there's no way of getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we wanted to. You know why? Because they were mine. Neither could I reduce my self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on my own power. I would wake up and i say, I'm going to do better today. Anybody else do that? I don't want to get upset. I'm not going to carry on, blah, blah, blah. I didn't have the power. We had to have God's help. Now I'm going to read two lines and then I'll shut up because we have a lot of people who want to talk today. So this is the how and why of this. I have to quit playing God. This is so important. Now, why do I have to quit playing God? It says it doesn't work. Do you see it? And why doesn't it work when I play God? This is subtle. Does anybody know why? Because you're not God. And I was playing God, and it didn't work. And I realized it's never going to work. And here's the decision that we're making. So we're deciding two things. To quit playing God because it doesn't work. And I decide that hereafter in the drama of life, God's going to be my director. Now, the drama of life is in my head. The drama of life is in my head, how I see things. And I want God to direct my thinking and how I see the world. Uh, He's the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple. This is a simple idea, isn't it? Not complicated. You don't have to be a nuclear physicist to understand this. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. So what they're saying here, I'm going to start with this, is that what I'm building is an arch in, my, in recovery to go from bondage to me to living in the world where God's the center of it and he's directing my life. And I'm going to build an arch to go through there. I'm on one side of the arch, I need to get to the other side. Now, the foundation of this arch is willingness. What makes you willing? Pain. The first step. Pain. I'm willing. I don't I'm willing to go. I can't stay where I am. I need to get through the arch. What's the cornerstone of the arch? Believing that God can restore me to sanity. Believe that there's a power that can get me through and that I can live with that power. And the keystone of the arch that holds it up is the idea that God's going to be thy director, not me. Now, having said that, you have no arch yet. You have to do steps four through nine to build the arch. And in step 10, it says we, we enter the world of the spirit. You hear promises read at the meetings, the ninth step promises. Anybody ever heard them? But they're not really the ninth step promises. They're the world of the spirit promises. That's where God is working in your life. You suddenly realize God is doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. You know peace. You see the world differently. You're not in fear. And those promises are transient. They only exist when you're in right relationship with God in the world of the spirit. So I'm going to stop there, and then uh, on Wednesday night we'll pick up with... uh, the contract with God we make in step three, in the third step, prayer. So I hope that was helpful. I'll shut up. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael.